With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Mobile phone companies say they offer home internet. But if their internet comes from a cell phone network, you should know. It's just phone internet, not home internet. Keep your home up to speed with Cox. Cox internet is faster and has more reliable download speeds than 5G home internet. Cox is the real home internet you're looking for. Based on Cox analysis of Ookla speed test intelligence data, Q3 2022 and Cox serviceable areas, visit cox.com slash internet for details. From the era that brought you names like Chamberlain, Russell, and West. The Chamberlain, he's got it! Jerry West made it from the other side of the midcourt strike! To the glory days of Magic and Kareem. Abdul-Jabbar is on the brink of an NBA all-time record. From a time where last-second shots were expected. Here comes Kobe from way outside. Got it! Oh, man! Gets it to LeBron for three for the win. Yes! LeBron James! And rings were handed out like candy. Here's Jordan. It's Duncan Dynasty with your host, Garrett Bougay, and it starts right now. Welcome to another episode of Duncan Dynasty. I'm your host, Garrett Bougay, and with me, a regular on the program, a very special guest, a fellow sports business classroom alum, and one of the biggest Raptors fans out there, Stephen Lowe. Stephen, thanks so much for coming on again. Garrett, thanks for having me back again. Now, uh, the Raptors, of course, in the finals with a, a 3-2 series lead after their heartbreaking Game 5 defeat. But uh, I actually heard from you that you were uh, able to, to watch Game 5 at a, a watch party. So, obviously, uh, the, the ending wasn't, uh, wasn't satisfactory, but did you have a good time at that event? Yeah, yeah, you know, uh, I felt like, you know, the game, it was a weird game. It was one of the weirdest games I've ever, you know, watched or... Um, you know, participated in, uh, you know, being a spectator for, and, uh, you know, a lot of emotions up and down, and um, there was a, like, a, probably a half second there where we thought that, you know, uh, Philly Game 7 Magic was going to happen again with Lowry in the corner, and, you know, that faded quickly, and <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> uh, the, the, uh, the fellow Raptors fans I was watching with, you know, we all kind of, kind of sauntered off after that, but it was a good game, and, you know... Um, you know, but for me, I always like to take it into perspective. I never thought uh, the Raptors would be here, um, you know, nine months ago. Um, certainly not a year ago. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, you know, it's, uh, we're, we're still, the team's still up 3-2 in the NBA Finals, and, uh, you know, they're going to get another shot to close it out on Thursday. Well, yeah, there was, uh, when that when that Lowry shot at the buzzer, which was, you know, a, a champion, potential championship-winning shot, uh, hit off the backboard, they didn't really show a, a, a slow motion or instant replay afterwards. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people a lot of people I saw on the internet with a lot of memes really making fun of Lowry, you know, the, there's that uh, along came Polly where Phil, Philip Seymour Hoffman <laughs> says raindrops and throw, shoots it directly off the backboard. Lots of, uh, of really good jokes, but uh, I think uh, Kyle Lowry's camp was all about making sure people knew that, uh, that Draymond got his fingertips on that and that it wasn't as bad of a miss as it uh, had looked on the first uh, on the first view. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I, I, was, I was just shocked there was no immediate replays. I, I understand, you know, ABC and ESPN, you know, they want to get those sideline interviews immediately after the game. You know, there's a lot of production and then chaos that comes with the ending of the game there, but... You know, that's, that's one of the, on Draymond's part, one of the greatest defensive plays in NBA Finals history to, you know, get, to like, uh, potentially alter and, you know, get a fingertip on a potential game, uh, championship winning shot. And, you know, you would hope that they would show the replay there, but, like, uh, you know, I was, you know, on social media for the next hour trying to see if they can get a good angle on that. And uh, finally, I think, the, you may have mentioned, maybe it was someone from Lowry's camp that put out that, that photo that showed uh, his 
uh, fingertip on, on the ball. I heard actually on the Canadian broadcast that they showed a couple of angles uh, immediately after. Um, and, uh, you know, people were pretty aware that the, the shot was blocked uh, immediately after the game. But, uh, yeah, that was, that was weird that they didn't show any replays. Yeah, and there there was another play that I thought they they should have they should have given us another look that on a Gasol drive where it looked like he was bumped by Cousins. I think it was at 106-103, uh, and there was no call. Uh, I think the two-minute report declared that it was actually a foul, but that, that was another play that they didn't show a replay. Uh, so, yeah, I'm with you that a lot of these broadcasts, they, uh, they, they often will show replays when I don't care, and then the, the plays that I actually do care when, it, when a player really is complaining that's saying that it wasn't a foul or whatnot that they, they just won't show it. But we'll uh, we'll talk a little bit more about the, the, the latter portion of the game here in a little bit, but I wanted to, first off, just talk about Kevin Durant, and of course we'll we'll get into his injury here momentarily. But I, I also just wanted to, to get your thoughts on Durant's impact coming in there in the first quarter and how that kind of changed the look and the feel of the series. Yeah, you know, I mean, he came in, and you know, as a Raptors fan, like immediately I was... You know, they wanted to see what what he had in the tank, and he looked good right away. I mean, he hit, you know, two threes pretty quickly. He uh, altered, I think it was a, a Lowry shot at the rim. And then, um, you know, he just seemed to be kind of a stabilizing force. He, he came down as a trailer and hit one of his threes on what looked like a broken play when Steph was kind of um, just in the lane there. And he looked like, you know, not the... Not absolutely the Kevin Durant of old, but, you know, he looked like he was going to have a 30-point game and, you know, really put his stamp on the series. So, um, you know, it's unfortunate to see him come down like that. But, yeah, like uh, like you asked uh, what his impact was, and I thought that, you know, he looked great in, in that first quarter especially. Yeah, he was he was plus six for the game in his 12 minutes. And, and yeah, just his uh, – even – even a Durant at eighty percent, just standing out there and being an elite spot up shooter, was a was a, a huge thing for the Warriors, given their their lack of, of two way players on their roster uh, outside of their you know core four or five best players. But uh, you know he he definitely had a great impact out there. It, it definitely freed things up for Steph and Clay. They got a lot of really good looks. I believe Steph was four for four uh, in his minutes with Durant. He was getting a lot easier looks instead of having the defense completely just focused on him. They had some other things to worry about. Uh, but uh, you know, of course, uh, Durant playing again 12 of the first 14 minutes, then goes down with with what appears to be an Achilles tear. And, uh, you know, you feel awful for the guy, but you also got a question. Uh, we'll get into the, the thoughts on the medical staff and all of that and, and the Warriors basketball operations department. But just from the perspective of what Steve Kerr was doing out there, to play, to play Durant, who hadn't played in 32 days, 12 of the first 14 minutes, I thought was a little bit short-sighted. And then also the fact that, uh, some of the things they were asking him to do out there, they were having him play point guard and bring the ball up the floor against pressure, which I thought was just causing a bunch of unnecessary strain. Yeah, no, you know, um, you know this is going to be debated you know, back and forth. and You know, we'll never know exactly what, maybe we will, like who knows what, what, the, what the media can dig up here, but you know, we don't know what the medical team doctors were advised. Um, Kerr was, I think he had, uh, Rachel Nichols was quoting him in a post-game interview where he said that he was told that the injury could not get any worse, which I thought was, you know, a pretty crazy statement <laughs> to make, you know, for someone who had a calf strain and, you know, looked like he was in pain in the Achilles area, you know, just a month ago. And, uh, you know, it, it's strange, right? He's cleared to play. I think um, a lot of people were just assuming that he'd come in and be a spot-up three-point shooter and be a little bit limited on the court, but you know, just have some gravity to make a big difference. Um, you know, hit some spot threes, but it looked like they were trying to use him, like, you know, how they were using him in the, early in the Houston series and in the Clippers series. And um, it's, it's just really unfortunate that that's how things turned out. And, you know, because of the result, you know, we're going to be questioning this for a long time. And I think there's going to be a lot of, you know, stories to come out in the coming days about, you know, uh, about the you know, medical staff, the Warriors management, uh, and the coaching decisions. Yeah, I mean the um, Nate Duncan on on the Dunked On podcast has talked about all season long how that medical staff really hasn't done 
a great job for Golden State. You talk about all of the muscle injuries that team has suffered. You know, Stephen Curry had a groin injury. Clay Thompson in these finals suffered a hamstring strain. Boogie Cousins tore his quad. You know, you've got Durant with this calf and now Achilles injury. Andre Iguodala's dealing with his own calf injury. Uh, so up and down the board, you've got what appear to be these preventable injuries, these muscle strains, these muscle pulls uh, that uh, you, you'd think would, would go down to the training staff and, and them just doing a poor job. Yeah, you know, there's a lot of questions, you know, like, um, like we went through this, you know, a year ago um, with Kawhi and the Spurs training staff and how, you know, there's a lack of trust there and, you know, he, he got his second opinions. Um, and, you know, there was news that, you know, KD had his own trainers as well that were, you know, advising him. Um, you know, if his trainers did sign off on him, I don't see a, him playing. Um, and also, you know, if his trainers are having wildly, you know, different conclusions than the, than the medical staff trainers, I think there's, there's going to, we're hitting a point in the NBA, and I think this will be a conversation going forward about, you know, the conflict of interest when uh, a team has medical staff and, you know, you have a player that, you know, maybe is on a short-term contract with the team, um, you, know, uh, who, you know, whose best interests are they looking out for, and, um, you know, even if they're acting, you know, completely... Uh, impartial, you know, there's just that appearance of conflict, and uh, I think that's going to be a really big topic going forward. And you know, I think um, you know, there's going to be definitely going to be some fallout from uh, the Golden State medical staff um, after this. Well, and you know, I'm glad you brought up the 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 Kawhi Leonard situation. And you know, for any of you out there listening that that aren't aware of that, I, I can't believe you wouldn't be. But uh, that you know, Kawhi was dealing with a with a quad issue. And the Spurs medical staff cleared him to play and believed he was ready to go, whereas Kawhi and his team said, you know what, I, I don't feel good. This doesn't feel right. I'm, I'm not going to play. And he stuck to his guns. And, you know, you talk about the difference in personality between a guy like Kawhi Leonard, who really is not about the media attention, is, uh, you know, doesn't really care what other people think about him, versus Durant, who is known to be a little bit sensitive, a little bit thin-skinned. He has gone at people that have uh, that have uh, talked trash to him on Twitter. He's actually responded to a lot of people, that, uh, and, and it just seems kind of immature in a lot of ways with some of those decisions. Obviously, you know, you, you feel awful for, for anybody that goes through an injury that severe, but at the same time, you also wonder how much of this was Durant just trying to prove the naysayers wrong against maybe his own self-interest. Yeah, you know, you know, there's going to be a lot of questions about that. There's going to be questions about, you know, how much of it um, was, you know, some of the media was calling him out um, for, you know, not pushing through like a, like a warrior, you know, no pun intended. Um, you know, Clay playing through an injury, Kevon Looney playing with, uh, I'm not even sure what his injury is at this point, whether it's uh, a separated shoulder or, a, or, or some sort of fracture in that chest area. Um, and then, you know, making it seem as if, you know, even uh, Boogie Cousins, you know, coming back uh, from a quad tear, and we see, uh, you know, KD kind of sitting out these games, and you know, there's a lot of pressure for him to play, and, you know, whether he succumbed to that pressure or whether he was truly cleared, like, these are questions that are going to be asked, and I don't know if we'll ever truly get the answers to them. Yeah, and, you know, Bob Myers did a uh, post-game press conference where he was very emotional, basically saying that Kevin Durant is, is a great person, a great teammate, he's misunderstood, our medical staff are all good people. And, you know, my response to that is, that's fine. I, I get that you're emotional. I get that, uh, you know, you you want to make sure that everybody on your team, you, you know, you're not uh, throwing anybody under the bus. But at the same time, with with a situation this bad, you know, you talk about a guy that played twelve or played twelve minutes after coming back from an injury, and he immediately suffers probably the worst injury you can suffer as a basketball player. There's got to be a blame for somebody, and I think somebody has to take accountability, and there has to be some sort of repercussion for what for what happened here. Yeah, no, I, that's that's absolutely. Uh... Yeah, and I, I agree, right? Um, I think that ultimately the, the medical team will take the fall for this. 
Uh, I know Bob Myers in his uh, speech told everyone to, uh, you know, in his conference told everyone to blame him. I don't think ultimately he will be the one to carry the blame. Well, and he followed that up by saying, though, that he's not a doctor and he doesn't know the difference between the calf and the Achilles. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, that's one way <laughs> to, uh, you know, to get rid of the culpability there. Um, but yeah, you know, that's, that's, that's just tough to see. And, and, and you know, it, take a step back from the NBA Finals, to see a guy like KD who's, you know, you know arguably at the top 10 player all time, maybe top 5 in some people's books, um, one of the greatest scorers of all time, I don't think that's arguable, you know, kind of in the middle of his prime, you know, turning 31 next year, potentially missing a year, and then, you know, coming back, and you know, a lot of times with these injuries, you know, you'll see um, guys, you know, taking at least another year after they come back to kind of play themselves back. Uh, you just hate to see it, you know. He was on such a good stretch of just playing elite bat- level basketball just a month ago. And, um, yeah, it's, it's tough to see. Yeah, and it's just a, it's just a situation that shouldn't have happened. And, and again, like Bob Myers taking the blame and, and, and not really taking a deep dive and looking at the medical staff. And, and really, right. you know, the, the comment saying that they're all good people I don't think anyone here is suggesting that uh, one of the training staff maliciously was hoping Durant tore his Achilles. I think the oh, question is, is there, is there incompetence in the training staff? And if so, you've got to correct that. Yeah, I mean, uh, look at uh, the Boston Celtics. Um, they got rid of their training staff, I believe, right after um, some, of the, uh, some of the, the stories about you know, IT playing through that hip injury came out. Um, and you know that was something that you know they had to do. So um, I think yeah, absolutely, you're gonna have to look into this and you know look into the practices there. Whether it's like you mentioned, whether it's incompetence or if there's you know undue organizational pressure to rush guys back, um, you know whatever it may be, uh, it's it's definitely gonna be a story we'll be hearing um, over the next uh, couple of weeks. So how do you feel about the, you know, obviously the the storylines continue to move forward in the NBA. We've got free agency coming up pretty soon after the NBA Finals and so many teams, uh, the Knicks, the Nets, the Lakers, uh, and, and several uh, the Clippers as well, teams that have built up this salary cap space to potentially get Kevin Durant. He was the number one free agent on everybody's board. Uh, what do you feel about that now? Is he still, in your mind, would he still be your number one target if you're those teams? Um, yeah, I mean, in my mind, I mean, eh, you, you can argue, right, whether like some teams like the Clippers, might, maybe even the Lakers might have been targeting Kawhi Leonard um, ahead of, of KD. But, um, you know, I think in general, um, you know, a lot of these teams, especially teams like the Knicks and the Nets who – have been lacking that star power would absolutely still offer him um, the max deal and would still want to bring him in. Um, I think that a team like the Lakers might not. You know, you have uh, you have LeBron, who's you know another year of his prime, and you know he needs um, some help right now to not you know, and the the organization needs to put a contender around him to not waste you know another year of LeBron's prime. So I don't think that KD will be at the top of their board anymore. Um, but I still think that, you know, those teams, and I think, you know, the Warriors will still offer him the max and see what, what he says to that. And, um, but I still think teams like the Knicks and, and um, the Nets will. Um, what I'm curious about is how this affects um, how those teams go about pursuing uh, Anthony Davis. You know, if you are one of those teams uh, like the Knicks, who are, you know, I think I've been the presumptive favorites to land Kevin Durant, um, you know, does, is that a team that still risks you know, trading a bunch of their assets for AD on a one-year contract where he'll be playing at, at least one year without a star? Um, you know, I think that that's suddenly a very different risk proposition, and uh, I'd be interested to see how these teams react to that. Yeah, there was, uh, I think, a, it was either a magazine or a newspaper headline that basically said, New York Knicks lose even though they didn't play a game uh, just because, yeah, the, you know, they, they have been the, the, uh, the, there's been a lot of rumors circling about a potential uh, Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving 
combo at the you know at Madison Square Garden, and now you know not only does the the Durant thing become questionable, but then you know if you get uh, if you're not able to get KD because either you know he takes his player option, you know just to play it right. safe. Um, you know, and then maybe that also makes it so that Kyrie isn't as interested, or maybe Kyrie isn't interested now just because he knows KD won't play next year. You know, that could be a factor as well. Uh, and and then, as you said, that, that also affects their ability then to, um, or their willingness, I should say, to, to throw trade assets in for Anthony Davis if they don't have those other pieces that would intrigue Anthony Davis and, and, and entice him to stay. But yeah, there are so many... So many uh, very interesting storylines to come out of this, and and it, it is very unfortunate uh, the the situation with Kevin. And obviously, I'm sure I can speak for both of us saying we we wish him a speedy recovery, and that we hope uh, as NBA fans that he is back to the player uh, that he was before this injury. But you know, I, I kind of doubt it given the history of Achilles tears. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, and um, you know, I, I think as. Uh, there's gonna be a lot of stories, especially in the next coming days, about um, how how the Raptors fans reacted after the injury. Um, I'm sure you, you you saw it there as well, and um, it's it's all over social media now. I, I think that it's it's awful to see, and you know you never want to see a fan base cheer, um, you know, after a, a player gets injured, and you know you can argue maybe they didn't know how serious the injury was right away, but um, you know, it was for me as a Raptor fan, and uh, <laughs> I've been cheering for this team a long time. And like, trust me, I, I want that championship as much as any other fan. Uh, yeah, that was just for me. Um, I thought that was embarrassing to see it. You know, you never want to see someone cheer, uh, especially for an injury of this magnitude um, and a player of this magnitude. Uh, what, what were your thoughts on that? I, I'd love to hear from you know, in, uh, kind of a, a non-biased uh, <laughs> uh, spectator. Yeah, I mean it. It didn't surprise me, mainly because you do get that sort of mob mentality uh, with with fan bases. And when you're talking about, you know, not only in the arena you've got around 20,000 fans, you're going to have some bad eggs just by the pure statistics when right, you've got right. 20,000 people. Uh, and, and then you'll have those people that just kind of uh, piggyback off what other people are doing as well, easily influenced. So, again, it doesn't surprise me. You've seen it before, uh, maybe not on this stage with other fan bases, but it has happened before where fans have have cheered for an unfortunate injury because they their, their immediate thought is, oh, this helps our chances to win. Uh, it is unfortunate. It did show a lack of class, but I can't say I was terribly surprised. Yeah, yeah I think that that is... Um... <laughs> I, I think that that's a pretty rational take on it, but I don't think that's going to be the uh, story we'll be hearing <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> over the next couple of days. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's unfortunate, but uh, it is what it is, and hopefully it doesn't take away too much from the NBA Finals and, you know, doesn't uh, paint Raptor Sands um, as this, you know, classless bunch of uh, guys who are, you know, like uh, cheering for blood. But uh, right. uh, we'll see. We'll see how, how that plays out. But I, I think that. Um, you know, the, they, they didn't show it, really, I guess, like immediately on the telecast, but I think once people kind of realized what it was, and, you know, I had a similar reaction where at first I was like, oh, my God, he's down. Um, like, man, like, he, maybe he's out for the game. Like, this is going to be huge for the Raptors. And then once I saw him kind of start pinching that Achilles and, and limping, I was like, oh, shoot, that looks like he's he's out for a while. And I was just kind of, you know, I had my hand up on my head and just kind of in shock. But, um you know, I, I get it. It was the, uh, the um, you know, the initial reaction. It was an emotional reaction. And then, um, you know, some guys are going to pile up because that's just who they are. And there's other people who, you know, uh, you know uh, changed suit and started uh, applauding him. But uh, that's sports for you, right? You're going to have uh, kind of the best and the worst people. Yeah, and it was good to see that the Raptors players were very much saying, you know, stop that. You know, they were they were trying yeah. to tamp- tamper that down almost immediately. Uh, but especially, you know, I think it was Kyle Lowry and Danny Green individually did a really good job of that, uh, which, which showed, you know, I think that, uh, that shows some mutual respect for, for both sides. And obviously they're all human beings. They're all basketball players. They understand that, uh, that nobody out there wants another player to get hurt. That's for sure. 
Uh, but let's let's move on to the actual basketball game because despite all of this drama we've been talking about at the start of this episode, uh, the, this was an excellent basketball game. It, uh, it it went back and forth at various times. Of course, the when Durant went down, the the Warriors had a uh, I believe it was a you know around a four or six point lead, and. DeMarcus Cousins, after not playing, and I was wondering maybe he wasn't going to, he was going to be a, a DNP coach's decision uh, yeah. with with Durant out there, and, and Steve Kerr, as soon as Durant exits, realizes his team needed a boost in scoring, and Cousins comes in and gives them seven points uh, in a couple of minutes, and, and really gave them a big boost, and it seemed like the Warriors were the team, surprisingly, that came out of that injury and uh, you know were able to get back to basketball a little bit quicker than the Raptors. Yeah, they came out. They they threw a couple quick punches there. Um, you know, Boogie was great. Like in in, the, in those couple minutes there, you know, um, I think it took the Raptors kind of a little bit to um, figure out. You know, the dynamics have changed. Boogie's on the court now. You gotta go back to attacking him on the pick and roll, and they didn't pick up on that right away. Um, and also, they had a lineup out there where with. Uh, you know, Serge Ibaka was the, the center at the time, as you know, as the backup center, and he was matched up with Boogie, who just kind of overpowered him a couple times, especially, um, you know, on, on the offensive glass, and also when um, times when Ibaka switched out and he was matched up on, I think it was Siakam, he just kind of, um, you know, took him to, to establish post position and got a couple easy baskets there. So uh, Boogie came out strong there. Um, can't say that his impact was overall positive on the game as I think he made quite a few errors in the fourth quarter which we'll, we'll get to um, but yeah no, he definitely gave them a boost there and I thought that um, Curry and Clay kind of hit a couple big shots that um, helped build their lead as well yeah I would say you're right that overall he probably had a negative impact but I think yeah. he did provide that little offensive boost that they needed especially in that second quarter and, yeah, you were mentioning Siakam on one play switched on to him, and, and Siakam tried to front, and Boogie was able to push him out pretty easily and, right, and get yeah. an easy lob for a, for a, for a, uh, an easy two. Uh, but, but, yeah, it seemed like all game the, the Raptors were struggling a little bit. Kawhi Leonard didn't seem, you know, like he was playing at his peak level. Uh, Kyle yeah. Lowry didn't really get, uh, get many three-point shots going I think it was other than the likes of of Van Fleet and Gasol the the Raptors started 0 for 15 from three Uh, so it's just another case of this Raptors team continuously has these moments where uh, they they just go completely cold from downtown yeah yeah um it's kind of kind of comes and goes right I feel like Danny Green is kind of the barometer for this team He's hitting his threes, then uh, it really opens things up um, for everyone else. Um, Kawhi just wasn't, you know, at his best for about three quarters there. Uh, I mean, he had that unbelievable stretch in the fourth. Um, but you could have said he was not having a good game for those couple quarters. Um, he just didn't really look that comfortable out there. He was um, going to the rim, trying to draw fouls, and you know, not really. Uh, didn't feel like he was really controlling the pace as much. Um, you know, Lowry was turning his you know aggression level on and off and um they just kind of look clunky out there and like not really comfortable and I, you gotta give some credit to the golden state defense there where i thought draymond um played an excellent game defensively and so did andre Iguodala. they were just really um, closing out well on the shooters and um trapping Kawhi in um, really uh tough spots where he was you know having trouble like passing out at the final open looks and then sometimes passing out and generating an open ish look um, to a reluctant Raptor shooter, and you know when you when you uh, turn down that semi-open look, sometimes you know you're not going to get a better look at that possession. And I felt like the Raptors um, fell into that issue a, a couple times in those uh, first three quarters. Yeah, I mean the the Warriors' defense has struggled all series. Of course, the the one quarter they did really well was was the third quarter of Game Two where they went on that I think it was eighteen nothing run, yeah. uh, and. But again, I think a lot of that was just the Raptors missing wide open looks. You know, Marcus Saul in that third quarter of Game Two missed a cup, a wide open three, a wide open seventeen footer. Danny Green has consistently missed wide open looks uh, in this in, in you know Game Five. 
he had, I think he ended up going over four, but he had at least three of those were absolutely wide open. And there was one where he was in the corner and he shot it over the rim completely. Uh, so it, it feels like at times, I, I, I agree with you that the Warriors' defense was better. They did a lot better job on Kawhi. But this Raptors offense, with, with its collective shooting and Kawhi as this unstoppable scoring machine that he's been this postseason, it really is a pick-your-poison sort of thing. And, and they do it better than you know Milwaukee with Giannis attacking the rim with shooters because Kawhi can shoot himself. So you can't just lay off him. Uh, so, you know, the Warriors, despite the fact that they had a good defensive game in this game, I think a lot of it still just came down to the Raptors just not making those outside shots. No, yeah, yeah I think you, uh, you, you, you're, you're on it there. <laughs> I definitely felt like they were missing some open shots, but uh, even on, on top of that, it did feel like you know, Gasol and Lowry at times were just turning down some. Um, some you know slightly contested looks that you know they when they're being aggressive that they would take and um, you know I voiced my frustrations about Dan and Green you know missing those open shots are tough but it's even sometimes it's those semi open looks where you know you have a guy closing out but you have enough time to get the shot off and you're in rhythm and you turn it down to you know dribble and try to attack the rim and let the defense reset again because you know maybe that's not necessarily your game when you're Danny Green. Um, you know, that, that, that stuff is tough and, you know, uh, makes it tougher on themselves. Um, but, yeah, no, I, I agree. You know, they, you're not going to beat the Warriors if you're missing open looks. Yeah, Siakam, I think, got uh, got three or four pretty good looks from the corner, which, again, during the yeah. season shot 40% on corner threes. And, and the Warriors, like, uh, you know, the Sixers and the Bucks before them, have, have really treated him like a non-shooter, even though he really isn't that. Yeah. Uh, but he, you know, what in the games that he's not able to make them pay for that are, are the games where the Raptors' offense struggles a little bit more than usual. Uh, but despite the fact that, as you said, Lowry maybe passed up a few open looks, and, and he was one for six himself, including that, that three in the corner that got blocked at the end of the game, I thought he played a pretty darn good game overall. He He was maybe better than anybody out there on the floor for the Raptors at attacking the weakness that is Boogie Cousins on defense. Yeah. He had a couple of really nice drives where he would get in and, and take about three dribbles into the paint and, uh, you know, just stop on a dime and Cousins would fly past him and, you know, hit a little floater or a turnaround jumper. He was uh, he was really good out there and it was just the three-point shot didn't fall for him, but I thought otherwise he had a, a pretty excellent game. No, I agree. It definitely looked like flashes of vintage Lowry out there um, with the way that he was. Uh, attacking the rim, um, really turning the corner on those pick and rolls, and you know just making you know crafty you know start stops. Um, you know not necessarily layups, like they were layups, but you know not like <laughs> they were kind of these herky jerky like stop and go layups where he was trying to draw a foul, trying to get the defender off balance, and then a couple times then he would get into the lane and then dish it off to a to a roller. Um, I think he hit um, Ibaka for a really good um, roll um, when Jordan Bell just looked like he completely lost his man, um, and that, that, that led to an easy dunk in the third quarter, and I think that, um, you know, he, he was, yeah, I, I agree, he was the one that was the best at, you know, trying to attack Boogie on the pick and roll. Yeah, it was, uh, let's let's talk about the fourth quarter now, because it was so fascinating, you know, the, the Warriors were, were holding on to a lead in the early stages of the fourth, but then uh, right around the six or five minute mark, Kawhi just goes on a crazy 10-0 run where he had a, a couple of, uh, of pull-up threes as well as a, a couple of drives where he just bullied his defender out of the way and, and put up little five-foot floaters. Uh, he was just absolutely phenomenal down the stretch, and he also had a sequence uh, both uh, offensively and defensively where he, he blocked Clay Thompson on one end and then had an offensive rebound put back on the other. Yeah, and he also had that sequence where... Uh, Almost looked like he traveled and then dished it off to Norman Powell for one of the more impressive dunks I've seen. Yeah, it looked awkward, but that was definitely not a travel. Yeah, that's what I thought as well. Uh, I looked at it a couple times. Um, yeah, you know, it was hard. You know, the watch party I was with, I think everyone was saying it wasn't a travel, but you know, <laughs> I haven't done my rewatch yet without the uh, homework while I was on, but I've got to hear it wasn't travel. Uh, but yeah, it looks like the Warriors just stopped playing. They were expecting the call and then 
next thing you know, you have Norman Powell probably taking off two feet further than he was comfortable with and somehow still converting the dunk, which I thought for sure he was going to clank off the rim. Uh, that, that was insane. And, uh, and you recapped it really well there. You know, Kawhi just it really just looked like a flip switched. And he said, I'm going to take over this game. I'm going to take us home to the championship. And, you know, Tanner got us there. Yeah, it really yeah, felt like one really of those, nice. those like legacy-defining moments. Those that, oh, you know, a, a series of plays that would go down in history as kind of the the thing that you would remember in the finals about and and Kawhi Leonard's postseason run. Of course, his Game Seven shot against Philadelphia will be replayed for the rest of history. But uh, that yeah. seemed like a, a an NBA Finals series-defining sequence. But uh, We'll, we'll get to why it uh, it didn't end up being that way because after that 10-0 run, the Raptors are up 103-97. There's about three minutes and ten seconds left in the ball game. Raptors in possession, and again Kawhi on the 10-0 run by himself. All the momentum in favor of Toronto. The the issue though is Nick Nurse and the Raptors have four timeouts remaining. And after you get under the three-minute mark, you lose those timeouts. You go down to two. So it really was a, you either have to use these timeouts now or you won't get a chance. And Nurse opts to use both of them. He uses them back-to-back for an, so it becomes an extended break. Uh, but the Warriors able to sub out DeMarcus Cousins, who had been, who, who had been getting roasted by Lowry and uh, by Kawhi there in the last couple of minutes. And then... Golden State goes on a 9-2 run to end the ball game. What are your thoughts on that uh, that timeout decision? Yeah, you know, it was it was a tough it was a tough call, I think. Um, it looked like Lowry was signaling for the timeout as well. Um, I would have liked for them to play it out. You know, I think when you have the momentum and you have the crowd there and you know the other team is kind of feels like they're on the ropes to just kind of ride that out. Um, I know that Nurse mentioned that some of the players were signaling that they were tired and, you know, they, they, he thought they could use this timeout. Um, and, you know, maybe if he drew out a play that ended in, you know, instead of uh, Kawhi going one-on-one with Clay there and kind of airballing that shot, maybe, you know, he hits that shot and they're up eight now and suddenly you have uh, you have, you have this grip over the finals and you're, you're now looking at, you know, two minutes and 50 seconds left and you're up eight. Um, you know, who knows, right? Uh, I would have liked for them to kind of play it out, um, not let the Warriors regroup and, you know, just kind of keep playing at that frenetic pace. But maybe it happens anyways. And, you know, you have your players running out of gas and, you know, the Warriors come and hit some threes. And um, then you get questioned for why you didn't, you know, use the timeout there. So um, it's tough. It's tough to say, you know, without knowing exactly how the players were feeling. But I... I I'd imagine that the adrenaline in that moment of a game should allow for players to be able to finish it out without needing those timeouts. What did you think? Yeah, I mean, the the whole idea that your team is tired, well, your team is going to be in similar condition to your opponent. So yes. if your players are tired, it's most likely that the opponent is tired as well. And it seemed very obvious that the Warriors were were uh, sucking wind, you know. Steph Curry on the on the previous possession, right before the timeout, got an open look for three and hit it off the front of the rim, which is a pretty good indicator that he that he was a little bit fatigued. And you know, you talk about the idea that yes, the Raptors players will get rest, and and maybe that would help them, but you're also helping the opponent, and and that's I think something that coaches don't factor in enough they're so focused on their own team that they're not factoring in the idea that if I'm calling a timeout I get to draw up a play but also you know the other coach gets to draw up a play the uh, I get to substitute well the other coach can substitute and you mentioned the the play coming out of the timeout where Kawhi takes a really difficult turnaround on Clay Thompson uh you know the, the big part of that run was the fact that DeMarcus Cousins was out there on the floor. And, you know, maybe you run a simple pick and roll and get Cousins switched on to Kawhi again and or you force a double team and you get a, a really good look as opposed to that incredibly difficult one they got after the uh, the T.O. Yeah, yeah, you know, and uh, <laughs> it's tough. You know, 
I, I hope this is not going to be a series of findings or not, but, uh, you know, it's definitely with the results, it definitely makes it look like it was the bad decision. I mean, uh, and it is, a, you're right that it is a, it is a results oriented business. So you're, you're absolutely right that if he doesn't call the timeout and the Warriors go on that run, everyone would be saying, well, why didn't he use him? Yeah, exactly. Um, and, you know, there's probably people today that are wondering why he didn't use his last time out on, on the last possession that were quite on trap. Um, so, yeah, you know, like that's, uh, you know, that's another thought, right? Um, if Lowry made that shot, no one's going to question that one. And, uh, I mean, it's overshadowed by this, the timeout he did call rather right? the timeout he didn't call. <laughs> but uh, it's, uh, it's, how, it's how the game goes sometimes. You know, it's, it's, it's such a thin margin for victory and um, I think the Warriors, you know, need to get some credit for coming out of those timeouts and really, you know, regaining their composure after giving up that that uh, you know, that onslaught by Kawhi Leonard and then coming back and you know calmly doing what the Warriors do, just you know, Clay and Curry hitting hitting tough threes um, in the, in big moments, and then uh, Draymond Green coming up and making a huge defensive play. So. That's a, you know, I think the, the credit is due to the Warriors for executing down the stretch there. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you brought up the, the final possession where Lowry gets a shot blocked. The Raptors, as you said, still had a timeout. And, and yes, people are questioning whether he should have used it then. Uh, the, the My couple thoughts I had on that was, one, you know, the Raptors are down one in that situation. Yes. And so there is a there is a possibility that the Raptors go down, take a quick shot, and if they miss, they could foul, and then still having that timeout could then advance the ball. The The issue I had, though, was the players didn't rush the ball up like they were down a point. Yes. And uh, as soon as that happened, then I would consider, you know, that they got into the play where Kawhi had the basketball, and he started into his move around at, like, the eight or seven second mark. Yes. Uh, at that point, I would consider calling the timeout, and I think the a big thing that the timeout would help you with would be your spacing out there on the floor. And when a double team comes, you have your guys in proper positioning to uh, to take advantage of that. And how it ended up turning out, you had Gasol and Lowry both kind of in the short corner area on the left side of the floor. And Draymond Green was able to successfully cover both of them, in large part because he was kind of fronting Gasol, and Gasol kept trying to screen uh, screen Green so that Lowry would get the open shot, but because Draymond was in front of him, he wasn't able to make contact. And then Draymond was able to not only be in the way of a pass to Gasol, but then as soon as Van Fleet made the pass to Lowry, able to, to chase out there and, and, as you said, make an incredible defensive play. Yeah, how amazing was his defensive instinct there <laughs> to not only cut off a pass, um, which would have been a layup for the win for Gasol, and then also uh, be able to you know recover quickly um, to make that to make that alteration on the shot. Um, you know, and then also you Iggy doubling off Lowry in the corner, and you know trusting for uh, Draymond to cover um, in that short corner. So that, I think that was a great sequence. Um, I tend to agree with you. I think the second I saw Iggy coming over, I would just call the timeout there. Um, but like we said, it's, it's results oriented and it's hindsight. And you know, uh, Kawhi made the right pass out, and it was a quick swing over. And uh, a lot of times, and against uh, maybe against a different defender. Uh, that's a that's a clean look for the for the series and for the championship. So um, yeah, it's tough to see, but I, I think that they should have called the timeout right on the uh, right right on the bubble once uh, Iggy started coming over there. Well, what's your thoughts on Gasol's instinct to be a screener there as opposed to being a guy that goes and tries to make himself a a target and force Draymond to have two guys that are trying to score as opposed to trying to just be a guy that uh, is is getting Lowry open. Yeah, you know, uh, looking at that play a couple times, it looked like if, if uh, I think if uh, Van Lee made that, made that, uh, that high-low feed that Hassel could have had to lay up, um, even Kawhi on that, if he, if uh, Hassel just got popped out to that high post, he would have had a chance there to, uh, you know, be a release valve for Kawhi and 
he could have, you know, surveyed the scene and made a, a quick pass to an open shooter, someone closed out on him, or had a, had a look at the rim for the win um, from a good spot on the court. Um, but, you know, that's uh, that's been kind of a Marcus Gasol experience uh, as a Raptors fan over the last uh, couple of weeks. You know, like, part of what makes him so great is him doing the little things, right? Doing the screening, um, being a ball distributor, and um, he hasn't been an aggressive scorer for the Raptors. Um and you know that's uh, I think that that play is kind of a microcosm for that. Well, yeah, and having having said that though, I, I do think yeah, if he flashes to the even just that free throw line area, he could catch it and potentially yeah have just an open fifteen footer or be able to make a, another pass for an open look. Right. Uh, but having said that, I think Gasol was excellent in that ball game, and and he's yep. been. He's been pretty great for this team all postseason long, albeit he's had yeah. he's had a few games here or there where he's been hesitant to shoot the basketball. Uh, yeah. But yeah. but yeah, that was that was a absolutely terrific basketball game. We're heading back to uh, for Game Six. We're heading back to Golden State uh, with again the Raptors leading the series three games to two. So the Warriors obviously another must win situation for them, but they're not going to have a quarter of Kevin Durant this time around. And they've already yeah. lost uh, the, their their first two at Oracle. It's it's odd, you know. I, I feel kind of confident about it, you know. I, I it's always tough when you drop one when you're up three uh, one. But I just don't see this team, you know, coming out missing. What was it like fifteen out of their first seventeen threes again? Um, they hit a couple of those shots, and you know, you can uh, really. I, I think you know it's a completely different team. And um, on top of that, you know, the Warriors are just lacking bodies and. Um, you know, well, I think that that Oracle crowd is going to give them a boost. I just don't know if it's going to be enough. It's this game is going to require a crazy clay or a crazy Steph game, or maybe even both, um, for them to pull it out. And um, you know, I think that for the Raptors, kind of getting away from um, Toronto, where I'm sure the energy was just uh, it looked ridiculous there, right? Um, a lot of. Um, you know, there's a lot of fanfare, and now you're going to Oracle where it's also going to be crazy, but for them, they can just kind of go out there and play basketball, um, you know, in a place where they've won twice already. I, I think that they're going to be able to pull it out this game, but, uh, you know, fingers crossed and knocking on wood. <laughs> um, you know, I think it's, uh, maybe it's finally time. Yeah, I'm I, I'm pretty, uh, pretty confident in the Raptors' chances as well. And I think a, a part of that confidence is the fact that out of the 20 quarters played in this series, they've only lost the Raptors. Uh, they've only lost four of the 20 quarters. They've only been outscored in four of them. So they've really dominated this series throughout. And, you know, one of those four quarters is the quarter that Kevin Durant played. Um, right. And then another one of those quarters is the quarter in, you know, in game two, the third quarter, where they just, uh, you know, couldn't hit the broad side of a barn. Yeah, you can argue that that was the Warriors came out and, and just threw a haymaker. That, that was one of their their best uh, the best quarters they could have asked for. Right? It felt like Clay, Curry, KD, they were just hitting everything, and uh, the Raptors were stuck six. So, uh, you know, I think that kind of shows you the, the resilience of this team, and I think that uh, Kawhi just brings this calmness to where um, you know he doesn't really let the moment get to him, and he just kind of plays his game and. Um, comes up big when they need them to. Yeah, you, you said it though. You know the idea that Steph and Clay are going to both have to have huge games, and that's really even more evident in this series. You know, without Durant's presence, and also with the struggles of uh, especially Andre Iguodala, who has not been able to knock down the three-point shot. I think an underrated aspect of the Warriors getting past the Rockets in that Game Six was that he went five of nine from three. And, you know, he hasn't been able to have any games like that, even though the Raptors are treating him in the same vein as as the Rockets did. Uh, But there's so many situations where, you know, Steph, a ton of his value is drawing two defenders 30 feet away from the hoop, and the Raptors have been able to reasonably play, you know, play reasonably good defense on those four-on-three situations by just allowing the right shooters to let it fly. Right. Um, You know, I think that, you know, this team without, you know, having, uh, you know, at least four offensive threats on the floor. Um, you know, sometimes with Draymond and Iggy out there, and even with Livingston, um, you just have guys that you're comfortable with letting them, you know, shoot an open three. Um, 
and you know that's uh, and the Warriors just haven't been able to beat the Raptors this way um, so far the series. So um, they've done a good job on them, and you know I'd love to see them uh, close it out and finally bring one, uh, bring a championship to uh, a championship-starved city. But uh, <laughs> and country. <laughs> yeah, and country. Yeah, no, no professional sports team over the major three sports, um, major four sports, I guess, uh, has won um, since 1993. So it's uh, it's a long time coming. Yeah, that will be uh, that will be a crazy scene if it happens. Well, yeah. I, I wanted to hear your you just some some final thoughts about uh, if if this Warriors team and their resilience and you know Clay Thompson being able to play through this hamstring issue. Of course, this team playing without arguably their, uh, you know, I, I consider Durant to have been their second best player behind Curry, but a lot of people would have said he's their best player. But uh, ha- do you have any different thoughts or feelings about, do you have more respect for this uh, Golden State team now that you've you've seen them in these finals at, uh, you know, with, with so many injuries and, and so many situations where they've, they've dealt with some, uh, some turmoil? Uh, you know, like... Uh... I've always respected this team, you know. Um, yeah, I thought that adding Durant was, uh, you know, made them an all-time great team. And, you know, people can have their thoughts whichever way they want about that. Um, but, you know, that was, uh, you know, they built arguably the best team of all time. And, um, you know, I, I think that I've gained a lot of respect for, like, you know, some of their, uh, for their star players for, you know, continuing to step up. You know, I think Draymond, despite not being a great offensive weapon this series has really made a ton of little plays and um, you know has been a difference maker all, all series and you know Clay I mean that guy has been unbelievable you know playing on that hamstring and just being somewhere that you're just terrified of every time he catches the ball um, you know he's shown you know, incredible toughness and, and this team has just proven to be extremely difficult to beat you know like Curry going for 47 in a losing effort um yeah, it's it just shows you they're lacking a little bit of depth, but you know their star guys are still showing up and still competing. Um, and, you know, you can kind of see why they've uh, you know ran off you know the past five years the, the way that they have. Um, yeah, no, that that team shows an incredible amount of poise, and um, you know, no, no matter how how confident I am in, in Kawhi and Lowry and Gasol coming out and having big games tomorrow, it's Pascal and Danny as well. Um, you know, you're just always scared that because um, you, you know, I said they're going to need huge games from Curry and Clay. Um, but if I were to, you know, also ask who are the players you'd be most worried about having those huge games, those guys would be right around the top of the list uh, of guys who can have a, a crazy game on any given night. So, um, no, this team is a team that uh, I'm definitely still scared of. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Clay Thompson has, uh, you know, has arguably had. The, uh, the the best NBA Finals of his career, even though he missed a game, but shooting 57.1% from three, uh, averaging 25 points a game. And then Steph, despite the fact that his shooting numbers are a little bit down, you know, obviously his usage has had to be so much higher without the presence of, of Kevin Durant, and averaging over 32 points a game has just been phenomenal. But uh, my, my final question for you, uh, you know, has to do with, of course, Kawhi Leonard, he's been absolutely sensational all postseason long. And, you know, if Toronto does come out of this with uh, with the title either on Thursday or on Sunday, where does this postseason run for Kawhi Leonard rank among the all-time great runs? Uh, you know, I'd have to dig a little bit more into the, uh, into the NBA history bolts for that. So I'll rely on you for this answer, but uh, I think it's been one of the greatest runs you know i've seen um since i i followed the game um you know this is right up there with you know lebron had some unbelievable runs uh in, in, during his second stint in cleveland um even in his first even in his first stint in cleveland he had that crazy run in 07 um but yeah i mean Kawhi, for me i think that this ranks right up there with uh with some of those lebron runs um you know, throughout his career, you know, in his early Cleveland stink in 07, um, immediately uh, I think about um, some of the, the run he had in 15, 16, you know, even 17. <laughs> he had, he had uh, a couple of years there where he just put up to 
from some unbelievable numbers in the finals and uh, I guess throughout the playoffs. Um, I, I, yeah, I, I would say that Kawhi, um, the big difference here, it wasn't as much of a cakewalk through the East. I felt like he, he's had to beat some really uh, some really tough teams in Philly and Milwaukee, um, which Toronto wasn't necessarily favored to win in. And, you know, he has that iconic shot. Um, so, you know, I, I'd rank it right up there. You know, I wasn't... Um, I wasn't uh, around being a huge fan during uh, Jordan's runs, but uh, um, you know I'm sure that this is uh, probably reminiscent of that. Um, you know, I'd love to hear what, what your thoughts are. Yeah, I mean the you know I think one of the great postseason runs was even LeBron from last year, where yeah, he he, he ran through the Raptors in the second round, was able to get past Indiana and Boston in seven game series with with a team with uh, you know no Kyrie out there. Uh, and and then you know putting up the 51 I believe in game one of the finals last year uh, but the fact that you know as great as that run was it didn't end in a championship and also it didn't have nearly the kind of defensive impact that a guy like Kawhi has had the fact that Kawhi has has not only put up around 30 points per game these uh, these playoffs but to do so while slowing down Jimmy Butler at various times in the Philly series while uh, being the, the key adjustment in Milwaukee to, to guarding Giannis and, and shutting down, or not shutting down, but limiting the MVP like no one else can. Uh, and, and in this series, you know, maybe his defensive impact hasn't been seen as much because they don't have a, a great wing without Durant for him to guard, but still putting up just crazy offensive numbers and doing so very efficiently as well, more efficient than most of Michael Jordan's greatest playoff seasons ever. Yeah, I mean, it's been like, yeah, I've been living so much moment by moment in this playoff run, um, especially, you know, coming into the beginning of the playoffs, just not knowing, uh, and still not knowing, you know, whether or not you'd ever see Kawhi Leonard in a uh, Raptors jersey again after this. Um, you know, just trying to enjoy every moment, and it's hard to kind of step back until... So hopefully it's all over to really put it all into context. Um, but the guy's been unbelievable. Like, I, I've never had the experience as a fan um, to have the ball in someone's hands and just kind of expect them to make the right play and to get a big basket when you need them to. Uh, I mean, like LeBron has been that for you know Cleveland and Miami um, in the past, but not you know not quite as much of the uh, or the shooter that Leonard has been. Um, and, you know, like Kawhi has just been so efficient and um, just makes just makes it look so easy out there to get to the spots and um, has a sense of the, for the moment as well when uh, he seems to always be the guy initiating these big runs when, when uh, the team needs him most. Um, yeah, he's been phenomenal. I mean, I don't think uh, my words will, will do it justice. Yeah, he's been really, in my, in my mind, the, the closest imitation of Michael Jordan as a playoff performer this postseason he's been absolutely phenomenal and and you know going back to the offensive end of the floor you mentioned his ability to to be a playmaker as well in that Philly series their their game plan really was to okay we're going to take everyone else away which they did a a pretty darn good job of and and make Kawhi beat us well you know I think through the first three or four games Kawhi was averaging 38 on 62 percent shooting against one-on-one defense uh, and then in that Milwaukee series, they kind of had the opposite approach where we're going to make things really difficult for Kawhi. And he had that game five where he had, you know, a bunch of assists on Fred Van Fleet threes and really picked the Bucks defense apart. Uh, he has really just become this complete player with, with really, with no weakness in his game. Yeah, it's, it's, been, it's been amazing. He's, it really does feel like he's been getting better every series. And, you know, like, the big knock on him was he wasn't a great playmaker. And like you said, he's had some great playmaking games. Even last night, I thought that he was uh, making some great reads and um, hooking up his teammates as well. And, um, you know, this is uh, <laughs> this has been a, a great thing, to a phenomenal thing to witness. And, you know, hopefully will be remembered in, in history um, as, you know, one of the, the greatest playoff runs of all time um, for a guy who's just kind of, you know, just really just entering his prime at age 27, 28. Um, it's pretty uh, pretty amazing to see. Well, yeah, and going back all the way to the beginning of the episode where you said you'd still have KD as your, your number one free agent, 
I would definitely uh, if I'm if I'm the Knicks or the Lakers or the Clippers, I I am focusing my attention on Kawhi now, and I might even consider Butler over the likes of Durant because I, I I'm not so sure that uh, when, when Durant returns that he'll be a top ten guy anymore. Yeah, I, I wouldn't go that far. I just think with Durant's shooting ability, um, you know, I feel like that that, that will still you know be something that uh, even if he loses some mobility, will be able to he'll be able to use to be a great player. Uh, I mean, we've seen you know Dirk be really effective late in his career when he lost some mobility, and um, I think that even if Durant comes back, you know, not you know back to his full self. Um, which, you know, hopefully he will be able to kind of get, get back to that level. Um, if not, I still think he'll be an elite player in this league. Um, so I still think I'd put him up there. And uh, I think teams should have been you know, targeting Kawhi from the start. I just think he's so enigmatic that a lot of these teams that are, you know, want to operate kind of in the shadows and, you know, maybe do things that are not, you know, completely by the books when it comes to free agency, which is, uh, um, as we kind of learned, is a pretty normal process for teams. Um, a guy like Kawhi, maybe he's just not playing by those games and it's too hard to read. And uh, teams like Knicks and Nets just have not been focusing on him uh, because they couldn't get that read. But uh, we'll see. You know, things will things can change in the next couple of weeks, and uh, I'm sure the Raptors will, will and have done everything they could to retain him. But at the end of the day, you know, uh, it's gonna. I think it's. I think Kawhi might have his mind made up, and he's gonna decide uh, what matters most to him. And uh, I don't think any person. <laughs> Uh, any outsider uh, knows exactly what that is. Yeah, it's uh, It's going to be fascinating. And, and there's, you know, I've heard some rumors potentially that, you know, there, there is all the, always the possibility that, that the, the Raptors and, and their organization and the community have developed enough good faith with Kawhi that he may feel like, oh, you know, I'll, I'll just give him a, a uh, I'll sign on a short-term deal, show them yeah. that their investment was worth it, and then go our separate ways sort of situation but uh yeah my my biggest issue with Durant moving forward is at his size you know if he's not no longer able to you know drive past people off the dribble and also be you know that pretty good wing defender moving his feet and staying in front of guys and and he just be I certainly agree with you that his jump shot's not going anywhere and he's not going to lose any height due to this injury um, so he's still going to be a very, very good offensive player. But if he doesn't have the ability to drive and get to the hoop anymore, that takes away uh, some of his ability to be efficient. And then also, if he's no longer a plus defensively, that also uh, limits his ceiling as a player. Right. Yeah, no, I think that, that's completely fair. You know, it's uh, there's been enough Achilles injuries, and there hasn't been you know great data points from it, but... Uh, you know, it's still a small sample, and there's a, you know, it's, it's a case-by-case thing. You know, uh, Durant's 31, I think 30, 30, 30, 30 31, or somewhere around that. And, um, you know, he'll be back kind of at, at the later end of 31, hopefully. Um, so we'll see. You know, we uh, we saw what Achilles injury did to Kobe Bryant. and um, Elton Brand. Which, you know, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, and, but no one... There's just no one in NBA history has really been, you know, the same size and frame profile as Kevin Durant. So we just don't know how his body will kind of react to this. Right. Yeah. Um, and again, if uh, if I could wish something to be true, I would wish that he's the same player. I love watching him play. He's he's one of the NBA greats. And uh, this this injury won't change that. He'll still he'll still go down. You know, he's a multiple time champion. He's an MVP of the league. Uh, he's, uh, I don't even know how many scoring titles he's won, but he's won quite a few, uh, probably a handful or close to it. Um, so, you know, even if he weren't to play another game, he would still go down as an NBA great, but I certainly, uh, wish for him a a full recovery and he can be back to that, uh, you know, elite status, but, uh, we will have to wait probably a long time to see if that is actually going to happen, unfortunately. But uh, Stephen, I uh, appreciate you coming on. This was uh, this was a really fun, interesting conversation. I know you're going to be pulling for the Raps in Game Six. I'll be uh, I'll be watching, and uh, I, I know you'll have a smile on your face if uh, if the game ends with the Raptors on top and, and hoisting their first Larry O'Brien Trophy. Excellent. Thanks for having me on again, Jared.
Thanks so much for listening to Duncan Dynasty. Uh, if you'd like to support the show, you can uh, you can subscribe to the program on iTunes. If you can leave a, uh, a rating and review, that would be greatly appreciated as well. Uh, the show is also now on Spotify. Uh, if you can uh, give the show a follow, again, a rating on there, uh, that uh, that really helps a lot. If uh, if you've got any uh, questions or comments or uh, or ideas for uh, for future episodes, uh, you can contact me. Uh, on Twitter, at Garrett Bouguet, and also uh, my email is g-bouguet at onu.edu. So uh, feel free to, uh, to uh, give me any of your uh, ideas. I, I love to hear from, uh, from the people listening to the program, and uh, enjoy the next week of the NBA calendar, and uh, have a great rest of your day. Leftovers. Or... The DMV. Number 97. Or. House cleaning. Or. Chumba Casino always brings the fun. Play over a hundred different games online for free from anywhere. You could redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. Live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. Woodwork prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Mobile phone companies say they offer home internet. But if their internet comes from a cell phone network, you should know. It's just phone internet, not home internet. Keep your home up to speed with Cox. Cox internet is faster and has more reliable download speeds than 5G home internet. Cox is the real home internet you're looking for. Based on Cox analysis of Ookla speed test intelligence data, Q3 2022 and Cox serviceable areas, visit cox.com internet for details.